So there are a couple of cliche things I always say to clients over and over again, um, because I tend to attract people who are the rescuer. And so the patterns seem to be similar with the rescuer abuser. And, and a lot of the time they've never learned about how the abuser does triangulation or how the abuser will tell everyone they're crazy and, and call them a liar. So that when the victim finally speaks up, they've already been discredited. So today I'm going to talk about my one of my favorite quotes that is, if they bitch to you, they will bitch about you. So some people get this, this is really obvious, and some people, it's a game changer. So basically, and this doesn't mean that, you know, if a friend rings and goes, oh my God, I hate my job. It's not that. I'm talking about venom. If somebody is venomous about people behind their back, you can bet they're doing the same to you when you're not there. Um, part of it is, and it's a huge red flag. It's a huge red flag that often we don't even call a red flag because we don't see it because the person who's nasty is often pretending they're the victim. A great example of this, and they're projecting, right? So a great example of this was I used to work, when I was really young, I used to work with a woman. And at that point, she was in her mid-20s and she was on her third husband. And by the time she was 36, she was on her fifth husband. So we only heard her side of the problem, right? So it was just like, oh, he's this and he does that and he does this and he does that. And after, but she was always like, she was the victim, poor her, you know, she always saw herself as the victim and she tried so hard and tried so hard. But as it got to husband four and five, we would say to her, hey, honey, um, you know, it can't always be them, you know, and then she'd also always isolate everyone from the person she was uh, bad-mouthing. So like most abusers, you know, she'd play them off against each other. The new husband was perfect, the old husband was evil, and then, of course, the same pattern would emerge. When we finally did meet the husbands, they, as soon as they knew us well enough, they'd be like, hey, look, this is really hard, she's doing this and this. She was always doing what she accused them of. And this is very typical with abuse. So in this case, it was only emotional abuse. But she would pick men uh, who were rescuers, like all abusers do. She would play the victim and they'd go in and try and save her, not realising that real victims don't play the victim. Abusers um, come out wearing the costume of victim, but it's a game for them. And so they're basically trying to get someone who put up with horrible behaviour because that poor person, that poor person's a victim. We know the normal red flags. We know the ones like if they're rude to the waitress. We know that if somebody throws a rage tantrum over a tiny little thing, we know that that's a warning sign. If somebody screams at you but then refuses to resolve it, or if somebody uh, gaslights. So we're getting, society is getting more aware of this thanks to the internet and thanks to... Um, public figures who behave like narcissists, we have more awareness about it, we spot it, we call it out. And I'm seeing online, I'm seeing comments online where people are immediately going, yep, that's a narcissist. And, and even we had a builder here today and even he was aware of the signs and was aware of terms like triangulation when he was talking about his mother-in-law. So the other one to look out for is if the ex is crazy, all my exes are crazy, my ex is crazy. You know, most people know that. If you've ever been with an abuser, you know this. Um, however, being single doesn't save you from attracting abusers. If you're a rescuer, you can end up attracting them as friends or having that dynamic with someone you work with. If there's someone abusive at work, the rescuer will often step in and try and protect everyone from the abusive person because that's what they had to do growing up. So um, I know someone who has a little girl always had to protect her brother and her father from the abuser. So she was always walking on eggshells, trying to placate, trying to keep the abuser calm, trying to keep the abuser calm. And she said she does this at work. As soon as she sees an abuser at work, she goes into this pattern and then the abuser attacks her and leaves everyone else alone. But what happens is then she leaves the job and she hasn't 
taught the victims how to deal with it, hasn't taught the, um, hasn't changed the situation. Now she's not there to protect them. So X is crazy, um, being rude to the waitress. But one thing I often say is watch how they describe a stranger because people see the world through their own eyes. They see what they see in the world is only their perception, their projection, not what's actually going on. So uh, years ago, I was at lunch with a guy from work, didn't know him from Jack. And a mum walked in, it was like 4pm. Sorry, it was like, we were at lunch, but it was late. And it was after school, so maybe it was 3pm. And this mum walked in with two kids, teenage kids, and they were hungry and they were cranky. And the mum just looked exhausted. And the guy I was with went, what a stuck up bitch. I looked at her and she didn't even acknowledge me. What a stuck... And I was just like, one, on what planet is she obliged to pander to your ego? She's clearly married. She has children. She's got other things to worry about other than... uh, I don't get this where narcissists think the world revolves around them. But he went on this rant loud enough for this woman to hear five feet away about how dare she not acknowledge him and look at him when he looked at her how dare she and we were just like whoa (laughs) and there was a, a a couple two girls at the next table and then he started on a homophobic rant about them and one of the girls was bigger than him and so when he went to the toilet the girls are like do you want me to I'm going to take him down. I'm going to follow him outside and punch him. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm not going to stop you, but I'm not going to encourage you. <laughs> but somebody's going to. It's not going to change who he is or what he does. But, um, yeah, I just think because it was all women and children there, he thought he could get away with this. But I'd rather know. I'm glad I know what he's really like. I'm glad I didn't waste any more time with trying to develop a friendship with this person because I saw in a minute how toxic he was. And what was funny was another guy at work, Pete, he said to me, when you're around this person, you're always really jumpy. So even before I knew him, so Pete said this after, after the lunch, Pete said, "Uh, I've noticed that you're normally really calm, but when you're around this particular person, you're really jumpy. And I said, that's weird. I don't even know them, but my body knows the energy. My body just goes, this feels like my abuse growing up. This feels like an abuser. So I, my body knew danger. My body, my intuition sensed it, even though my logic didn't have a reason to. So what else do I need to cover with this? Okay, so the other thing they do to watch out for is narcissist lie. Um, we know they're lying, they know that they tell, I mean, like everyone tells like, you look great, you'll be fine. Those sort of lies, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about lies that are like crazy lies accusing you of things you haven't done to try and gaslight and get a reaction. That's what I'm talking about. Lies with venom. And it's really easy to get dragged into the drama of it because they're trying to get a reaction. Because the narcissist, if you're happy and you're doing your own thing and it's not all about them, they will literally create drama out of thin air. Um, my, I had an abusive ex and he used to walk into the bedroom at 3am and start screaming, I know one day you're going to leave me, so if I kill you, it's your fault. Mm. I learned very quickly not to react to that, but then he'd start smashing up the room. So uh, when I stopped reacting, I'd just be like, right, You need to go to your father's. You're obviously having a meltdown. Go and deal with the person who made you, who who created this monster. Take it out on them. Stop taking it out on me. Because he, my ex would say, because his mother and father would scream at him and threaten him. And he would would acknowledge that they did it to him. Therefore, he's going to do it to me. My abusive parent would say to me, well, their brothers picked on them. So now, because I'm the oldest, they have to abuse me. And this is a crazy thing where abusers will acknowledge their behaviour as toxic, but they always claim it's not their fault. Or in this twisted way, they're the victim. Like, how twisted is it? So you've got to deal with this. It's it's sick on so many levels. It's like, I'm going to kill you. And it's your fault because I've made up a reason of something 
And it's crazy. And people who've never been in an actual abusive relationship have no idea what it's like. It is exhausting because your body is just screaming danger, danger, danger. And part of the reason they do it is because if you were able to be rational and logical, you'd go, what the hell? And just get out. But when you're in, when your body is in a perceived extremely dangerous situation, your whole cerebral cortex, frontal lobes shut down and you go into reactive brain. So you go into survival mode. And after 10 years of working with abused women, you realize it's not until about six months after they get out that they actually go, oh, why did I put up with that so long? And then they beat themselves up. Oh my God, I can't believe I put up with it. Oh my God. And they, they're so hard on themselves. And that's how you know if someone's actually a victim or, or a narcissist pretending to be a victim. Most of the time, actual victims of abuse will go, I should have seen the warning signs. What could I have done better? I'm so sorry that he attacked my friends. I'm so sorry that whereas abusers will say, oh, my wife was abusive because she criticized how I looked in pants one day. And so it's some flim, or oh, the other thing that I've noticed with abusers is they'll criticize their victim, but there won't be anything specific. It'll be like, they're crazy. They'll attack the person. They won't have specific incidents. So they'll go, they're crazy. They're a compulsive liar. They're, they're nuts. So they're, they're off the, you know, they'll, oh, they're an alcoholic. They're a drug addict or, um, like uh, one thing I have an abusive family member and I was traveling and I went to their home and I, I met someone that was a mutual friend and I was getting along really well with this family friend who I'd never met before. And suddenly this lovely woman came to me and she said, oh, you know, I've heard you've got rage issues and I've heard you've got a thyroid disease. And I'm like, no and no, like what? And she went, no, 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 you know, your family member's very concerned. She's so worried about you. She's so worried about you because of your rage issues and because you smash things and because you've got a thyroid issue. And I'm like... No, that's her. So this person had done the, was so terrified, I'd tell, even though I was young, was so terrified, I'd tell the truth about them, that they'd gone to someone and told, like, it turned out about 10 crazy lies about me, so that they thought that person would be like, whoa, but thank God the person was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll go and find out. And then, of course, you know, six months later, these people always come and go, oh, my God, they did it to me. Yeah, because that's the thing. Abusers, and this is that love bombing thing, abusers can only keep up the fake for so long. And it must be, it's horrible being around them, but usually people get away from it. Imagine how horrible it is to live in that mindset. Imagine how horrible it is to live just where your whole focus is hate and being terrified of people, terrified of consequences, terrified of people seeing through your charm and, and seeing through, the, terrified that people will find out what you're really like. I always think, isn't it just easier to be nice? I don't get it because I've got one parent who's a rescuer, enabler, and one parent who's like extremely violent and venomous and dangerous and tried to kill me. And so I've got these two extreme parents which is why I feel, and then, so my whole life I kept attract, in situations, I'd always step in front of the abuser or the racist or the threat and put my life in danger over and over again to antagonize an abusive situation, to try and de-escalate it, to protect everyone else around me because that's what I grew up doing. And even though after my divorce I stayed single, I still was attracting these type of people or in a, in a group setting, I'd still end up in this situation. And it was, it didn't even, there were situations where it didn't even make sense. I was at a pub in a, in a tropical location with 10 friends. There was a stranger, an old man. I was maybe 30. There was an old guy in the group, um, in another group, never met him before. And one of the girls in our group that we were traveling with had a Scottish accent. And I said to her, when you're drunk, I can't understand you, honey, which is true. None of us could. And it became this whole joke. And we all adored Joe, And it wasn't even an issue. It was just the minute she was very drunk. None of us could understand her. 
And this man who was standing, I'm going to say about eight feet away, heard that and came over and grabbed my throat and tried to choke me and said he was going to kill me, like just flipped out into rage. And everyone just sort of stood there in shock. Thank God one of my friends who's from New York and who's huge was able to um, get fix it, help. Um, but it was just crazy. And this guy who was just flipped out, who snapped, was saying that, and what happened, he was just, and his whole thing was he was totally in the right. He had no issue with what he'd done because he, this 60-something-year-old man said that when he was 20, someone, and he was Irish, not even Scottish, someone had made fun of his accent and he had all this rage he'd held on to for, what, 40 years? And so the minute I came along and said a, a private joke to a private friend who wasn't upset, he just flipped out in rage. But he totally was justifying this. And what amazed me was all the men in our group just stood there and did nothing. And then said, well, it's one of them. Oh, one of them said, it's your fault for being loud. Did you know? He said, you're so aggressive because you were loud and people and your fault for being loud and, and therefore you're, you're being aggressive. And I was like, I laughed. I laughed and I made a comment. That's not aggressive. It was amazing how much the men did nothing and it was the women who actually helped. That was horrifying. And the men justified what the man had done. I'm hoping that, you know, that was a few years ago. I'm hoping that now it would be different. And I was with Australian men and the Australian men are awful um, when it comes to, or have been traditionally very misogynistic and way behind my American friends and my English friends in terms of behaviour. But um, it blew my mind. This This guy was just like had this unresolved rage the minute someone made a comment that was even a tiny little bit similar that he just snapped and started screaming he was going to kill me. And this guy, because he was so out of control raging, even though he was a little guy, it was terrifying. It was terrifying having someone lunge eight feet at my throat and grab my throat and, and just this crazy look in his eyes. But it didn't even make sense. I hadn't actually done anything. And this is why people need to resolve their shit. But he obviously hadn't. And you know what? He was there with his wife and she just also did nothing. And I thought, if he's like this in public, can you imagine what he's like at home? Anyway, it, it just, this is the thing that we see this toxic behavior. And there've been about, I'm going to say quite a few, about 10 situations like this in my life where somebody's been really, really abusive, male or female, and their spouse has stood there and gone, oh, they're sorry. This, oh, that's the other thing. The wife, later on, she was like, oh, he's really sorry. He doesn't mean it. And I'm like, bullshit, he's sorry. He told me it was my fault if, I, if he killed me. He's definitely not sorry. And she was like, no, 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 he doesn't mean it. Which made me think either that's what he says to her. So after abuse, he cries and says he's sorry. Uh, because once he's not in that triggered rage state and his brain switches out of um, primitive primal brain and back to normal, he is probably mortified at what he's done. But also the reason they do this shit, he sh yeah, I should have pressed charges because this guy was screaming he was going to kill me. It took me. It took them about 10 minutes to get him off me. And if he does this to me over such a tiny little thing, he's definitely doing it to others. You know, my ex who tried to kill me, I found out years later, a TV station contacted me. I was the fifth woman he'd tried to kill. And he was in his early 30s at this point. I was the fifth woman. And then after I did the TV interview, three women came up to me in the street and told me, I think, I think that that's my ex. I think that's the same person. And they'd give examples and I'd be like, oh, he does the same job and he does this and he does that. I think it's the same person. And that chilled me. Um, that There were some things they went, oh, it's not the same person, but abusers tend to all do the same things. So the other, the, that's, I'm, and the examples I'm giving are pretty extreme abuse, but all abuse is toxic. All abuse is soul destroying, all abuse. So whether it's, Someone who is just always exhausting to be around because they're negative. Um, there's an English guy I used to work with and you'd spend time with him and he'd always make jokes and they were always nasty and venomous and untrue. 
like one day we were all out at lunch and I drove and so I had a tiny glass of like about an inch of wine and an inch of water and he had three glasses of wine and then half an hour later he was like oh you drink so much you can't drive and da, 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 which is like one I didn't drink and two you're drunk <laughs> and and so it's this but it was constant he attacked my driving he attacked my drink of wine he attacked that I had uh, something I had in my car um, so somebody had given me a gift and it was in the car and he went on and on about that and it was just like non-stop relentless um, snarky bitchy comments non-stop and these people always complain they have no friends and I think fuck we all know why we all know why because being around you is exhausting being around someone who all they do is attack you all the time your body is on guard all the time and then they complain they can't get a girlfriend. Well, I'm not surprised because the last thing you ever want to do as a woman is have sex with a man where your whole body has to feel like you're on guard and have to be guarded and have to put up a wall as if you want to, as if you'd feel safe to be around them, as if you'd be able to be vulnerable. It, it just like blows my mind that they can't make the connection. And... Part of you wants to tell them, but part of you wants to leave that behaviour there as a warning for everyone else. Again, if that's what they're like when they're on their best behaviour and they're that awful, imagine what they're like later on once they've let their guard down. And imagine what they're like with an enemy. Imagine what they're like if they're angry and this is them on their best behaviour and they're nasty. So now I want to talk about blame, which is the biggest red flag of all. When someone's behaviour is problematic, but it's always everyone else's fault. It's always they never, ever take any ownership for it. So in public, we see this with uh, somebody who goes like, okay, so you see it with police violence in certain countries where it's like, okay, well, he didn't comply fast enough so I shot him but it's his fault because he did this or you know even worse when they say oh this person had um, outstanding parking tickets so it's their fault I shot them but on what planet is are you not responsible for your behavior you are and so anyone who's doing blame um, my abusive parent would always be like you upset me or, or it was always like, oh, I'm tired, and so therefore, I'm, I'm tired. So they'd scream at me, say they were going to kill me, and then say, but I'm tired, so it's not my fault. Or I've had a long day, so it's not my fault. Ign which is why it's so infuriating, is because they're acknowledging their behaviour is awful. The fact that they have to justify it means that they are fully aware that it's not okay. We never go around going, oh, you know, I had to justify being nice to a stranger. I had to justify being kind. We don't do that. So that's why it's so infuriating. If they're justifying it, they know it's wrong, right? They know it's wrong. So therefore, don't do it. If you feel the need to ever justify being wrong, being, and look, we've all had moments when we've behaved in ways we are not proud of. You know, <laughs> I had, uh, oh, we were at a function, we were at a charity event uh, at a Swiss um, location and a woman was being really snobby and rude to the waitress not knowing that the waitress was the daughter of one of the diplomats and and, and uh, her the daughter's mother was very rich and she didn't know who the waitress was she was just being snobby and so uh, I was over it because <laughs> she was being so putrid and I turned around and I made a comment about how I was putrid <laughs> I turned around and I said to the woman we can always tell people who grew up poor because they treat their staff badly anyone who grew up with servants would never do that so it's obvious you grew up poor and we're not judging you that's okay but somebody should teach you some manners and and look I'm not proud that I said that the waitress was thrilled, <laughs> but it was me being really horrible. I don't usually sink to that level. I had just, I'd had a gutful, see, now I'm justifying. And that's the thing. We're all capable of being nasty, but most of us choose not to be. And that was 10 years ago. But it still bothers me to this day that I put this woman in her place because she was so nasty and and I just saw her hurting someone else and I was just done. But it's still not okay. 
is there a better way I could have handled it? How could I have done better? So I'm, okay, this is me owning my shit. But what I'm specifically referring to with blame is where it's like somebody is nasty, but it's not their fault at all versus me owning. I could have chosen to be polite. The examples of blame I gave before where somebody in my family always, when she's nasty, she's always like, well, my older brother's picked on me, so therefore I have to pick on everyone. No, you don't. This is the thing. If you were picked on as a child or if you were teased as a child and you know it hurt, why would you then deliberately hurt someone else? Instead, you could heal. You could choose not to perpetuate it. You could choose to be a better person. You could... (laughs) You're choosing behaviour and then you're passing the buck. It's just crazy. Um, or the, you know, my ex waking me up in the middle of the night telling me he was going to kill you know, Waking me up in the middle of the night telling me he was going to kill me because his mother did that to him when he was young. And I'm going, okay, so your mother did that to you. So go and have therapy to deal with your mother, who'd been dead at this point for 10 years. I might add his mother died of cancer. Um, when he was 20, something like that. So he's, so he's screaming and ranting about a person who's dead, about something that happened when he was a child. And yet he'd wound himself up playing computer games and then would come into the bedroom at 3am and start screaming that he was going to kill me because at some possible point in the future, I might leave him. Well, yeah, if you keep behaving like this, I did leave him um, because of this. As soon as I was safe to get away, I left. Um, But it became this self-fulfilling thing. That was a weird dynamic. So extreme abuse, where you're with someone who's trying to kill you, like I was. Extreme abuse is, uh, my ex had this belief that everyone would leave him, everyone hated him. So he would behave in a way where his behaviour was so out of control. And then we'd talk through it and he'd go, oh, no, 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 you're going to leave me. You hate me. You're going to leave me. So I have to escalate. I have to be worse. I have to be worse. I have to be worse because if you forgive me. Um, I've actually seen it in a friendship. I have uh, a girl I used to, a family friend. I let her come and stay with me a while ago. And she would, the minute she was drunk, she would get blotto drunk every night and the minute she was drunk she would go into rage and so we tried all these strategies for her not to drink too much or just like not be around her when she was drunk I had all these coping strategies to be around this but what she do would she would escalate into a hysteria and then start and then steal or lie or smash something and then say oh now and then she'd cry play the victim oh, now you don't love me, now you're going to throw me out, now you're going to do this to me, poor me, it's not fair. And it was just mind-boggling to watch this whole circus monkeys meltdown of one that she'd created, she'd written, directed, created and, and acted in the whole thing and she'd go through this cycle in two minutes. And honestly, I could sit here and say, I would. my strategy was to sit and say nothing and let her spiral and just go through it, you know, so she'd uh, steal a bottle of wine, drink it, um, then leave the bottle of wine for me to find, and then come down and be like, oh my god, now you hate me, now you do this, it's not fair, blah, 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 and so she was acting out what her mother used to do to her as a child, 20 years earlier, instead of getting help, so she was playing out the same drama over and over again, but testing, if somebody really loves me, they'll stay no matter what. And then the the other thing, oh, the other thing abusers do, they'll go, and, and people talk about this with love bombing. They'll talk about, um, I really, really love you. And I'm thinking, yeah, but your behaviour doesn't say it. So I tend to have in my life people whose behaviour shows that they care, not people who say they love me. Uh, this has caused a problem with the man I actually did love because I wouldn't tell him I loved him. He wasn't thrilled about that, but it was because I'd been told I love you by people who behaved in a way that was hateful so many times that I was like, oh, I don't like saying it. I actually like showing it. So anyway, I ended up cutting this person out of my life because I just couldn't have them in around without this this woman throwing a rage tantrum 
and creating drama out of nothing. And when she learned it didn't work on me, she'd attack, we were out and we'd be out and she'd attack one of my friends over a made-up thing. She'd make things up. And this is that thing that gaslighters do. They make things up to throw a tantrum about. And I just think the the mental acrobatics, it must be exhausting. It mu- And, oh, another thing I've noticed they do. Oh, so what is it? So when you solve it, so they'll make up this whole drama to get all worked up about. And you'll go, no, nope, that didn't happen. Uh, oh, my ex threw this whole rage thing about how he needed to wind his shirt and he couldn't find an iron. And I'm like, there it is. But he'd worked himself into this crazy screaming frenzy because the iron was missing. And he was so worked up and so angry about this nothing burger and I, I just pointed and went, there it is. And then now he was raging because now he had to make up a new imaginary thing to be so angry about. So these people have a problem for every solution. But they also, they want the problem. So they complain about a problem. A rescuer goes in and fixes the problem and now they're angry because now they're going to make up a new imaginary thing to, to throw a tantrum about. Because it's not really about the problem, it's really about the tantrum. It's really about the tantrum, which is nothing to do with you. Uh, Tony Robbins used to say that um, 99% is the unresolved trauma and 1% is the thing happening in front of us. So that's, and, and we see it when somebody is, when an adult is throwing a tantrum. In Australia, they call it spitting the dummy or um, crack the shits. And I know when I lived in California, I, uh, and Trump was running office while I was still there and I'd use these terms crack the shits and spat the dummy and people would be like what's that and I'm like okay it's like when a grown man throws a tantrum like a two-year-old and Americans thought that was hilarious by the way it's not hilarious but this whole thing about like these tantrums they are throwing a tantrum like a two-year-old it's just as crazy you know, online there are those toddlers tantrums because you cut the sandwich in triangles instead of squares, or you, you know, and we all think, ah ha ha ha, you know, the toddler's throwing a tantrum about nonsense, and there's a two-year-old, but it's it's no better. <laughs> there st- I've seen men and women, but mostly men. I've seen men do it at 30, 40, 50 years old. I've seen family. I've I've got a brother, you know, who's in his forties who does these meltdown tantrums over nothing. And it's just because all this rage is bubbling inside them that they can't, they can't contain it anymore. So the tiniest little thing just trips them over and they just take all this anger inside them and they put it on this, but the anger was already there. It's like if you scratch the surface and out came all this poison, the poison already existed. Uh, and they just want someone to, to, it's like they're boiling over and it's spilling over and they just want someone to throw it at because they can't contain it inside them anymore. It's too much for them to handle. But if you boil over and then they walk away, they just, they haven't healed it. It's like yeast. I used to describe it to clients like yeast, okay? So you take some, so you have a loaf of bread, you take out some of the yeast and you make another loaf. So a fight, let's say Fred has a fight with Jane and he screams and he splat, throws all this venom at Jane. That's like taking a pinch of yeast and throwing it at Jane. So now there's yeast fermenting and brewing and there's something toxic and fermented over with him and Jane. But the main yeast, the main sourdough mix or whatever, the starter is still there, still brewing, still festering, right? And then he takes it and spews it at someone else and takes it and spews it at someone else. But the original starter is still there. He's just taken off a little bit, but then the original one expands and ferments out to fill up the the space. Throwing all your venom at someone never resolves it. It just now means you've got more and more people who avoid you whenever they can. Anyway, so back to the Trump thing. The GOP, it, it's it's almost farcical how much they project. You know, Oh, they cheated. Then they remember before, even before Trump's first election, he in twenty sixteen, he was saying if he lost, it was because they cheated, which is just uh, that whole. I mean, it's just petty and childish. But the reason the GOP keep accusing everyone of cheating is because they do. You know, they purge voter rolls. They 
create ID laws that are so insane and ridiculous that 96-year-olds can't vote. They make it so that anyone with a criminal conviction can't vote. They, they strike off anyone who's got the same name. They strike off black names. They gerrymander so that there's these ridiculous gerrymander maps in America so that even though the GOP only gets 30% of the votes, it has something like 70% of the seats in some states because of gerrymandering. So the reason they're always going, they cheat, they cheat, they cheat, is because they think that everyone thinks like them. The same as a spouse who's cheating. You know, you know if, you, if, uh, if a spouse suddenly starts accusing you of cheating, it's probably because they are, and they're hiding and they're lying, and they, which would be exhausting. It would be just so exhausting having to, you know, lie to someone all the time and to cover it up all the time. It would be horrible. I don't see, <laughs> I definitely don't see what the benefit is. But the, the, the clients who've come to me, the, the couples who've come to me where they're cheating, the pattern I see, uh, usually women cheat because they aren't getting their emotional needs met. Men cheat usually, in, in my experience, and this is, you know, cliches aren't always true, the men usually cheat because they need someone who goes, oh, you're so big and strong, oh, you're so... It's ego. Their ego just wants to be pandered. They want someone who thinks. And they also, men always go, oh, I love that I, the mistress will be like, I can promise her if she's on her best behaviour that I'll leave my wife. They're never going to leave the wife. They've got the best of both worlds. The wife usually doesn't know there's a problem in the marriage. And they're literally playing off two women and they're on a power trip. And they say, but I love both of them. No. Usually they only care about themselves. They're selfishly fucking up their marriage they're selfishly um, using someone else who now can't find a real relationship where someone can fully commit to them and they're just getting like getting double dipping for want of a really bad euphemism but it's it, it I also think that women who think he will like why would you want a guy who left his wife for you Oh, on three times in my life, I've seen people, women I know who've had a guy leave, cheat with them. They've, they've started off not knowing he was married. They found out after a couple of months that he was married, even though there were things that they had the gut feeling or there was something off. They found out he was married. He said, no, no, I'm going to leave her. Eventually that he's left. And then five minutes later, He's telling her the same lies that she's heard him tell the wife. And then these guys all end up cheating on the new girlfriend. So that's another one of my cliches. If they cheat with you, they will cheat on you. The guy who you can't... And by the way, why would you want a partner you cannot trust? Especially someone who you knew he was cheating on his wife and all the lies that go with cheating. Why would you want someone that you know will lie to someone he pretends to love. Why would you want someone as a partner that you cannot trust? You don't. Anyway, uh, I think that I, once again, I've given the worst possible examples, but really, in a nutshell, it boils down to when people start out in a relationship, it doesn't start out toxic, it doesn't start out extreme, but it always starts out with you getting a feeling that something's off. It always starts out with just that little niggling thing. Uh, like I've often said, my body knows if someone's off before my brain knows. I'll be jumpy around them or I'll apologise to... Oh, that's another one. I'll always apologise to waiters about their behaviour and I hear myself and I think, hang on, if I'm aware that they're abusive to strangers, why is it not bothering me? So, but look for the basic red flags. There's great charts on red flags and green flags. But I also love to sort of point out to clients, there's intuition flags. There's intuition things that our body feels jumpy or we feel drained around someone. So if you, uh, and there are techniques I do where I just get you to close your eyes and imagine standing and put imagine putting that person in front of you and just go, does it feel heavy or light? How does it feel in your body? Do you feel queasy in your tummy? Um, now, if you're having trouble imagining that, uh, hang on, I'll do this technique as its own exercise in the next little bit. Hang on. 
So this is a technique I've used for, I'm going to say, about eight years with clients who have a pattern over and over again in business partners and in friendships and in life partners where they keep picking people and going, they betrayed me. Um, so betrayal is a story that they didn't live up to your expectations, but it's also a pattern of, I didn't see the warning signs. And so if, if somebody comes to me and they keep having the same pattern over and over again, I'll give them a way so that they can spot it using their body's intuition. So what I get them to do is list five people they're not sure about. So five people who seem nice or a new partner or something in that mix. And then five people from their past that really hurt them, burnt them, abused them, whatever. So five people who they have labelled bad uh, for whatever reason, they've, they've upset them, hurt them, doesn't really matter, but they've got a story. Their story is that that person hurt them. Uh, it, and then there's no judgment around it. It's just that that's that pattern. It might be that somebody just accidentally, but doesn't matter. So they have a, a story about this pattern, this person. When somebody is in a pattern of rescue or abuser, they often don't trust their own judgment. And so in this situation, um, I'll use one client who let me share her story, Rebecca. Rebecca was a nurse and she, uh, so she used the analogy of drawing blood and she said, so we, we sort of made a, a frame of reference for her, which was the people, when they felt toxic to her, it felt like they were draining her. And I said, like they're draining your blood, like when you take your blood. And that worked for her because she went, yep, that's how it feels. So I got her to imagine first the five bad people, her label. And so I got her to close her eyes and line up, imagine a lineup of those people like the usual suspects like that movie. And so she actually wrote each name on a piece of paper and lined them up on the floor and then stood in front of each one. So person one, stand in front, close your eyes, imagine person one, we'll call them Roger, imagine person one, how does it feel in your body? And she says, cold, chill, it's like draining my life force. Right, fine. Where is it in your body? How uh, does it feel heavy? Does it feel light? So describe it and go through it. And so get in touch with how your body feels around these people so that you can recognize this pattern before you end up in a business partnership with these sort of people and you're replaying the same drama over and over again. And so, and then she picked someone else. She went, oh, actually, it's fine. That person just reminded me of this, but I actually feel fine about them. So she actually got some resolution and some reframing around past situations. She got to go, this is what I could have done differently. So with each person of the five bad ones she stood in front of, she lined up and she went, this is what I could have done differently. So it's really important not to just tell the painful story. It's really important to go, what did I learn? Uh, so this is part of the rewiring your brain. What happened? But what did I learn? What could I have done differently? What would I do differently now? What were the warning signs? What was my intuition I didn't listen to? How did other people handle that person? That's a really big one because someone who we label as bad, there'll be other people who love them. Um, I've got a family member who's, who was traveling and ran into uh, other family members they hadn't seen for years. And they came back and they said, oh my God, they're so racist and they're so hateful. And one of the men said, if my son was gay, I'd rather he was dead. And, you know, and they were just like, and there were all these conspiracy theories and they had no idea. And they said, I can see why you don't have anything to do with these people. I went, yeah. Now, it was much more powerful for us, for someone to observe it for themselves rather than me just saying these people are toxic. They got to experience it for themselves. But, um, yeah, so that's, but for me, that's toxic. For someone else, it wouldn't bother them because until that, until this person who was traveling, they had never seen them behave like that. They'd seen them years ago, before Trump, before or when all of the, there was a veneer of politeness over all the racism and hate and venom. So they, their experience of this person five, ten years ago was these three people, they're really nice, they're really lovely because they saw the fake public facade. 
a few weeks ago, at the start of September, they went and saw these these three people and went, oh my God, you know, fast forward five, six years and just all this venom, all this hate, all this behaviour. And But before they'd never had a problem with the person because they'd seen a different side to them. And now they're seeing the true colours, but they also... Yeah, so look, somebody will trigger you and not someone else. One behaviour, I was in a situation last week, four of us and one person waved their arms and in the whole group everyone just went, you know, because there was an emergency and they waved and couldn't get everyone's attention, waved their arms. One of the four people had a screaming rage meltdown because the waved arms was how dare you wave your arms. And so through a tan, not my friend, by the way, someone else who was a friend of friend who was there, spent an hour being venomous and screaming and throwing a tantrum about the waved arms. And I'm thinking, so you got upset over something that was innocent that happened for one second and yet you've spent an hour being venomous. How is, how is that not you that's the problem? Do you know what I mean? Like if such a tiny little thing will cause such a, a putrid... And I was just like, oh, thank God. Thank God I see this. Whereas before... When I was 20, I would have tried to placate. I would have tried to keep the peace. Whereas now I'm just like, ugh, I don't want that person in my life. So back to the technique. Line up the five people. Put name five objects or five names on bits of paper. Stand in front of each one. Close your eyes. Tune in. Closing your eyes accesses a different part of your brain. So tuning in to how it feels in your body. How is your body responding to that person? Imagine them standing in front of you. Do you feel like you want to push them away? Do you feel like it's yucky being in their energy? Do you feel anxious? Do you feel um, usually people who, if someone's triggering for them, usually you will feel panic in your chest or in your throat or in your stomach, or you'll start going into hypervigilance and your brain will go overdrive. So if somebody has, let's say, turmoil in the gut that will be their symbol that shows up in that pattern with everyone so look for how your body responds to people that you know are triggering for you so we do the five suspects with people who trigger you and we just go through and they go right how does it feel and then so you're not stuck in that then go right what could you have learned what could you do differently also do you feel safe to say what needs to be said for that person so it might be So Rebecca, one of them, we got her to say to one guy, hey, now that you're dead, I release you. I release the anger towards you. Because of you, I chose a different husband and I had my next relationship was better and I chose a really lovely husband, blah, blah, blah. So if you can resolve it or change it, you can help rewire your brain. That's a whole other topic. But um, just like your, that's a whole other topic with brains and memories and things which I've touched on. So line up the five people, but mainly it's to see where, how your body, what's the physical symptom that you get or the physical warning sign when you get around someone who triggers you. So then putting the five people aside, put aside five people who are in your life now, who you're not sure about, or even one person who gives you an uneasy feeling or look, the the bad feeling, that's your warning sign in itself. Even if you can't, even if you have nothing concrete, there's your answer. So stand, sorry, the rain's noisy, I'm aware. Stand in front of the person who is um, in your life currently and close your eyes and imagine how it feels in your body when you are face-to-face with them. So work out how, how far away, how close feels comfortable. So you might want to step back so you're three feet apart instead of two feet. Or work out, does it give you the same queasy feeling? Is it heavy? Is it light? Do you not feel safe? So then then you've got your answer. Then you know. But also it's really important to know your body sends a signal. Just be aware of what it is. And so when you meet someone, you can do this exercise and just step in imagine stepping in front of them imagine them in front of you and just see how your body just tune in because so often we live in our head and we live in logic and we go they seem like a nice person you know most really horrible people 
overcompensate the other way when they first meet people. They're super charming, super fake, right? Fake is a huge red flag. Someone who's really fake and, and feels fake, there's real people don't need to be fake. Someone who's genuinely nice doesn't need to be fake. They're just real, right? So trust your gut, but also if you've had terrible experiences where you've been surprised at how horrible someone was or surprised by someone's true nature that you didn't see, this is a technique you can use where you stand in front of an imaginary version of them or a toy or a doll or a bit of paper with their name on it and just see how it feels in your body. And then go, okay, what do I need to do? What does my body want? Does my body want space? Does my body want no contact? Uh, with one client, she had to imagine building a brick wall between them before she felt safe. So you can use symbols. Um, I will do more on these techniques, but I also want people to know there are ways you can tell your brain a story and that story becomes as real as any memory. Right? Our brains can't tell the difference between a scary movie or a scary memory or a made-up happy story. You know, take the trauma and change the ending, what I learned, how I feel now, what I'm doing differently now. Change the ending, and then you get your brain out of panic mode. You actually tell your brain that there, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And good luck. This is not fun, and this is something that people who haven't lived with abuse won't understand. But people who have lived with it are so busy trying to keep their head above water and they're often having a therapy where all they do is talk about the problem, sometimes the strategies, but they often don't learn how to break the pattern or how to not end up in that situation or, or they're afraid they'll leave and then end up with that same person over and over again because a person in an adult abusive relationship has sure as anything has grown up with that dynamic somewhere in their life where they've been um, trained to be a rescuer. Um, so if you, especially if you've been in a family where there's one rescuer, or one abuser, that seems to be generational. On my dad's side of the family, they seem to all be rescuers. And guess what? My cousins, who I barely knew when I saw them all a few years ago as adults, were all playing out the rescuer. It was crazy. In my mum's family, they're the two extremes. Everyone's either a rescuer or an abuser, and they are the extreme of that. So, uh, yeah, but hey, we are getting more and more aware, and the rescuers are healing, so therefore we don't put up with the abusers anymore. So just hang around with rescuers. Honestly, I think if givers and kind people and rescuers all hung out with each other, we would be forced to learn to receive and we would, you know, you'd give kindness and you'd get kindness back and that would be a game changer, right? <laughs> um, I think this is what we need to do. So good luck again. Bye.